This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from CardsWire.com, the Arizona Cardinals site from the USA Today NFL Wire. While Seth Cox is not with me this episode, we are still in our opponent preview series. He will be back um, for our training camp preview in a week and a half. In this edition of the show, episode 314, we have two more opponent previews, two more opposing team editors, managers, writers who cover their teams. And in this edition, we've got the Cardinals' Week 8 opponent, the Green Bay Packers, followed by their Week 10 opponent, the Carolina Panthers. The Cardinals play the San Francisco 49ers in Week 9, and we already previewed that game as the Cardinals played the San Francisco 49ers Week 5, Week 9, and in our episode from last week, episode 312, we talked to Cam DeSilva from Rams Wire, Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire, and Cole Musgrove of Seahawks Wire to preview our NFC West uh, opponents. So in this show, we will start with Green Bay and end with Carolina. Let's go ahead and get started. For our next opponent preview, and the one where we're going to go out of network for, for all the other opponents, we've had a site editor or a contributor for one of our NFL Wire sites. In Week 8, the Arizona Cardinals will host the Green Bay Packers on Thursday night. To give us the lowdown on the Packers' last season, offseason, and upcoming season, I have Justice Mosqueda from Acme Packme. AcmePackingCompany.com, which is SB Nation's uh, Green Bay Packers site. Uh, if you are longtime listeners to the show, you might recognize the name from from my co-host Seth Cox from the the retro version of the the Draft Breakdown podcast, which they have since rebooted with Seth and Justin Higdon. But Justice, welcome to the show. Appreciate the time taking some time off uh, on a July afternoon. How you been? I've been I've been great. Uh, just coming off of a 4th of July weekend with the in-laws and stuff like that. I don't know how you guys are handling it, but yeah, I'm, re- I'm refreshed. I'm ready to go. That's great. Great. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on for a bit. So the Packers, depending on how things play out in a couple of things should were and should be one of the favorites for the NFC this coming, this coming year, but let's take it back to the 2020 season. What were the highs? What were the lows? It was a pretty dang good season that did finish disappointingly, obviously, since they didn't get all the way. Um, in, instead of Rodgers getting that that second title, uh, it was Tom Brady again, not only you know stealing the hearts of the entire AFC, but doing it now in the NFC. What went well last season? Where did things come short? And why you got to bring up old stuff? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um I think what was really impressive about that season is you kind of saw the highs at the beginning and at the end. And in the middle, there was a little bit of a lull, right? So I think out the gate, um, coming out with four straight wins, especially that win over uh, the Saints that I think, I think that was Sunday night football, you know, last go ahead touchdown um, against a tough team. I mean, everyone thought at that point that the Saints were like one of the contenders in the NFC. I thought that was really important, um, especially coming off of everything that we had to deal with with COVID-19, right? Just having no preseason, 
the limited offseason, all of that, the fact that they were able to click um, in the second year of that offensive scheme was really important. And then there was that weird lull. They had that bye. They got blown out by the Buccaneers, which surprising. Uh, they lost to them twice um, that year. And then there was like that weird lull where they were struggling with the Jaguars. You know, they were they, they were in a one-score game with the Jaguars, who ended up having the number one overall pick. Um, they lost in overtime to the Colts when when really Rodgers, I mean, there's a triple coverage catch that uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling catches. And if they don't make that, I mean, that thing doesn't even get in overtime. Like, they were lucky to even get in overtime there. But it seemed like after those two weeks, they kind of figured it out. And they were like, this is what we need to do to win. They had to deal with certain things like Tyler Irvin. Like, the Packers are kind of a weird team in that LaFleur knows – what his players can do and he will not ask them to do more than that so like a guy like tyler irvin running jet sweeps like that's a constraint on defenses that you can build an offense around but when irvin goes out now you don't have that and then they start tinkering with things and they say all right can equinamia say brown run the jet sweeps can we do it at a split back gun with aaron jones and it was kind of like a uh they were kind of trying to find their identity for a little bit and then once they found it, I mean, they ended the year really strong. Um, they didn't play another single single score game in the last like month and a half. Um, and then going into the playoffs, I mean, you get the Rams. They had their whole situation where it was like, is Goff even going to start or not? And <laughs> right. then uh, they they met the Buccaneers again, and it was just Tom Brady is clicking, and they can run power, and that is two things that are very hard to defend on the defensive end. And if you aren't getting outstanding defensive play, um, it's going to be hard to beat him. I mean, he won the damn Super Bowl against uh, Pat Mahomes, who might be the best like quarterback talent that we've ever seen. Right, right. Um, so it's not a surprise that they lost to him twice. But that's half of their losses last year came down to Tom Brady. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, it's true. So what was it about Aaron Rodgers last year? Like a lot of people will say, oh, the drafting of Jordan Love motivated him. And I, I'm sure there's a little bit element to that. But what was the great difference between year one and year two in LaFleur's offense that made Rodgers, you know, play at that incredible level last season? Yeah, I think it was a lot of like, honestly, like I was saying, the, the soul searching on the offensive end and just being able to figure out what what is our identity? What is our skill set? Um, the biggest thing I think in terms of just pure personnel, I guess I would say is Jimmy Graham wasn't there anymore. Um, <laughs> like Jimmy Graham was really great, but he was, he was, a it was his corpse running around out there for most of the time. Yeah. Robert Tunyon, my goodness, he did he, for, for the rest of the league, where the heck did he come from? Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was a wide receiver prospect coming in and he showed out every preseason and he was a guy who I was like man, I don't know if we need to be drafting all of these tight ends because I think Robert <laughs> Tanya might be a kind of special guy, but you never know. I mean, uh, Jake Kummerow, right, who Rodgers is apparently mad that yeah. he didn't make the roster. I mean, guys like that show out in the preseason too, and sometimes they don't make the cut. But Tanya um, was able to to show off, and he got over uh, DeGuara, I think is how you say his name, and uh, Sternberger. And, you know, uh, Mercedes Lewis isn't, He's ever so going to be like that pass catcher i mean so he, he made that catch against the saints yeah I mean, he's going to be able to he's basically a right tackle that's what he is like he's <laughs> he's a right tackle who's not getting paid like a right tackle and he can do it as long as he wants to um and he's a great blocking tight end but he's not that field stretcher that tanyan is but getting tanyan 
was a huge help. I mean, Jimmy Graham by the end of, I mean, really the whole time he was in Green Bay, he was just a red zone threat. I mean, he's not going to give you anything in between the twenties. He's just a guy you like, you split out wide at the five yard line, you look at the matchup and then you decide, am I throwing you a ball that you can high point or not? That's basically what he brought to the team, but playing him every play just didn't give Green Bay anything in, in 2019 and being able to get Tanya in and rotate in Lewis more, um, I think definitely helped. So we come to the off season, obviously Vince disappointingly, but it's one of those things. So a team that is that good, that is capable of winning the Super Bowl, does it feel better when you lose to the eventual champs? It never. No. I, I I never know no. what. The, I'm like, the, do you find some solace in the fact that the team you lost to won it all? No, I've seen like <laughs> five NFC Championship losses since the Packers last won the Super Bowl. No, it does. It doesn't. Feel good. It doesn't. No. And of course, and, you know, coming off a season like that, you're thinking, like fantastic. And then the off season comes, and Aaron Rodgers is unhappy. Now, all we get, like all we've heard here is what it is the national coverage can you give us some more insight as to what exactly rogers is unhappy about is it a particular person is it a philosophy what is it that has him so upset because he obviously doesn't have a problem with great bay he as tough as he might be able might be sometimes as a teammate he's a good teammate and a great quarterback and apparently has bought into Lafleur's offense. Where has it gone wrong? It'd be nice if you could just tell us, right? <laughs> um, and you you said it starts in the offseason. I don't even think it starts in the offseason. I mean, they lost that game to Tampa, and he's in the press conference talking about you never know what happens. You know, the NFL is crazy. True. Just immediately, and it's like, okay, what's going on? And that that's what makes me think maybe he felt the same way going into last season, you know, uh, the, and honestly, maybe, maybe like, apparently the, am I right in saying that probably most of his heat is directed towards Goody Coons? Uh, so that's what the, the, only, the fear is feel right is right now. So the only like sliver of perspective that we have, is James Jones on NFL Network, his former teammate, his former wide receiver, saying that this stemmed from a personal conversation. And what is that personal conversation? And there's been hints that it is the fact that the front office came out and said that, told the public, we told Aaron that we were going to draft Jordan Love, when that's not necessarily what happened. So that, okay, that makes sense. And then it makes more sense that he would have that reaction following that loss because he's been dealing with that the entire 2020 season. True. Because obviously these aren't feelings that just start to manifest <laughs> in April of 2021, him realizing, hey, wait, Jordan Love is behind me. That's that's not how that worked out. Right. Well, and, and my question is this. So perhaps was it a conversation that maybe went like this? That he went up to Aaron and said, we're preparing for beyond you. We're looking beyond you which i'm as a competitor that that fuels something now and then because there was the comment said then plan then things didn't go to plan i have an mvp type season which you can't move on from an mvp right but maybe they were putting things in place and 
uh, Rogers was aware of it. Hey, we're getting ready to move on. Well, he he's talked about that. I mean, in terms of you, you have to remember. I mean, all these players read everything. Like they'll 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 tell <laughs> so, you or, not whether reading, whether or not they, they don't read it. Someone reads it for them and tells them. <laughs> right, exactly. They know what the narratives are, and he's talked about it in public and like. You know, sometimes it's time to move on from a quarterback, but his whole perspective is it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Right. Um, the interesting thing to me is he has been asked enough this offseason. Are you going to be the quarterback in Green Bay? Where if his answer really was, I'm going to retire, if that's my only option, he could have said that by now. And I typically tend to believe players, especially in, in this climate, when they say, hey, I don't want to be there, move me, especially after uh, what happened to Le'Veon Bell, what happened to Antonio Brown when he was in Pittsburgh. You have the tools where if you want to make a big enough mess, you can make a big enough mess and get out of somewhere. He hasn't been doing that. I mean, he, we, we just went through. I had to watch like five and a half hours of golf on a Tuesday. To hear uh, him say something, Eric, maybe. <laughs> yeah, to hear him say something, maybe. And he just brushes it off. Like at, at that point. I'm thinking, okay, you have the tools to be able to do what you say you're doing. He could have, but it's going to cost you some money. He could have retired. Exactly. (laughs) Like if, if that was actually your plan, I think we would have known it. uh, You know, we're two weeks away from veterans showing up to training camp. You know, there, there was plenty of time to let that be known. So I think that door is still being left open. And again, like I said, whatever feelings he's having now, he probably had in 2020, and he just pushed through it and played through it. And to a certain extent, I think this is almost kind of showing the power that franchises, ownership, front offices have over the players where this guy might not be happy with his team and the whole process of the team for two years, and he just won an MVP, and he might go back and play for him again. And this is off, off of two back-to-back NFC championship games, you know? Yeah. So. So, bottom line, it sounds like you think that that when it when push comes to shove, Aaron Rodgers will be the starting quarterback this year, which will make the Packers a very good team. And do you think ultimately there will be enough money in a potential extension that will keep him content for beyond this year? That's the interesting question: is would he play under his current contract? Right, because we, we've seen reports floated that you know they've offered him restructures in some sort of ways and without seeing the actual contract structure it's hard to say the nfl there's a lot of ways you can get funny money out there right yes yes so, <laughs> yes so until we're you see the contract that. structure it's tough to see like all right is this actually like functionally buying you more years in green bay or is this just giving you more money right now <laughs> right um so that that's really the interesting question to me is okay so he does come back and play like is the money enough to keep him happy through 2022 or is it a situation where we're doing this thing again next offseason you know um that that's the bigger question and if you're the packers i mean why wouldn't you want the option to go year by year with the quarterback i mean that's ideally where you want to be if, if you're a franchise where i have a quarterback but i can also pull the rug out from under him whenever it suits me i mean that's the best situation to be in as a franchise rather than, oh man, we have so much dead cap attached to Ben Roethlisberger or Drew Brees who are clearly going downhill and losing arm strength. 
we have to keep leveraging this just to keep our roster together. And we're not even really contenders by the end of it, you know? Yeah. So next question deals with say what, where is Jordan love really at in terms of production, in, in terms of readiness? Because, um, based on things that we hear nationally, while there is perhaps optimism, there's no glowing, there's no glowing recommendations or praise for where he is at right now. How steep would the would the drop off from in quarterback be? Obviously, anyone who comes in to replace Aaron Rodgers is going to be a drop off because Rodgers, excluding Patrick Mahomes, probably the most talented quarterback we've ever seen of his era, my lifetime probably. Um, how? How bad would the Packers? What? How bad a situation would the Packers be in if Love is the Week One starter? Well, I think you're you're kidding yourself if you're betting on a first year starter <laughs> being even average. You know, I think we've seen that story enough. Where even you know first round rookie quarterbacks, top five, top. We even take Garrett's first year as a starter. They're six and ten. Yeah, uh, th- there's there's plenty of evidence now. Where it's, hey, guys, everyone isn't going to be Dan Marino coming out. Everyone isn't going to be, you know, <laughs> Dak Prescott, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, whoever, Russell Wilson. You know, those guys are anomalies. Um, so I think you'd be going from MVP type of production in the passing game all the way down to below average, you know. And where that below average is, is where the spectrum becomes. But you have to remember Jordan Love, he's never actually worn a Packers jersey. You're right. He's only worn that red practice jersey because on the sideline in the games, he he's, never dressed. he's a healthy scratch because Tim Boyle was QB too. Um, so it, when you think about, you know, the limited offseason last year, right, and everything that came into the COVID restrictions of you even being in the building, he hasn't really had time to de- – I mean, he's basically a rookie quarterback. That's what he is. Um, so I think we would get more of an inkling of that in the preseason. But there were guys in training camp who were down there in Green Bay talking about you know, it's crazy how many reps he's getting compared to uh, the reps that he was getting in practice last year because he was basically getting none. So I, I think this is like his first steps to actually becoming an NFL quarterback. And it's nice that he's getting them in, in some ways, right? It's nice that Rodgers wasn't there in OTAs and minicamp so that he was actually able to get those reps. Right. And the Packers did certain things like they were pulling – Devontae Adams out of minicamp. Um, Devontae skipped OTAs, but they pulled him out of minicamp so that younger guys could get reps because they just realized what last year meant for the development of young players and what it could mean this year by giving them those reps now before bullets are live and actually figuring out who these guys are because they honestly haven't been able to get a good look at these guys. Um, that That's part of the whole evaluation thing, I think, this year is, all right, 2020 was so weird. We actually need to figure out who even had on our roster because there's not that many padded practices in the NFL. I think there's in season, you get like 12 or something like that, it's which something small for a, for a high school. <laughs> I mean, for a high school, you can get that in two weeks right? and they're getting that through a whole NFL season. Um, it, it's kind of a weird perspective to think about, but you know, I think they very much this off season are valuing, you know, getting young guys reps um, and, that very much bodes well for Jordan's development, but nothing is real until the bullets are live and throwing in shirts and shorts doesn't really matter that much. Um, 
especially when you're going against your own team that isn't scheming against you to try to win a ball game. So I think we'll get a look at him in the preseason. And then, you know, the NFL regular season is really when they're coming at you, right? So the preseason is really, we're just running our base stuff and we want to make sure that you guys aren't messing up. And if you show anything, that'd be great. The NFL regular season is we are trying to scheme your weaknesses. And if Jordan Love becomes a weakness, that's when when defenses start trying to personally attack Jordan Love's game, right? That's when we <laughs> learn what is Jordan Love right. made out of, what can he overcome, and what can his upside be, and how fast can he develop. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best star of Cardinals talk on the web, we continue with our conversation with Justice Mosqueda from AcmePackingCompany.com. We discuss the Packers, uh, their free agency, the draft, and their outlook for the upcoming season. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. Let's move on to free agency. Uh, who are the notable losses uh, in free agency and then the notable gains? The notable losses would probably be, so Corey Lindsley's a big one, right? So yes. he went to the Chargers. And that, that's Chargers a, were that's in play a, for them. He was, yeah. he was, they were in play and then Chargers offered him way more money. <laughs> yeah, and he he's great. The big thing that I'll say about the Packers offensive line Everyone loves to talk about how great their offensive line is. They're never good after they, they leave. Well, they're 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 usually good in a real specific way, right? And that real specific way is they can pass block. That that's the big thing. And and a lot of the metrics, right, that people use the advanced stats, they're pretty good at measuring pass blocking ability. They're not really good at measuring run blocking ability, which is why we skew to the Packers offensive line is so good because they're good in the ways that we can measure. Um, but run game wise there's a lot of things that they could probably do better, but they just value pass blocking more. Um, they also lost Jamal Williams. Their, their power back really is what he was uh, to the Lions, you know, in conference. But outside of that, um, they didn't lose too much as long as they could keep Aaron Rodgers. Um, Lindsay is the big one. Um, replacing him is going to be interesting. They just drafted Josh Myers from Ohio state. Um, he's probably, he got the first team reps, uh, in in uh mini camp but you know there's an off chance that ellen jenkins can play center too ellen jenkins played all five offensive line slots last year um second year guy second i think he was a second round pick out of mississippi state so he can bounce around he made a pro bowl last year um but that would be a real interesting combo if you go from Corey lindsley and aaron Rodgers to rookie quarterback rookie center basically Ooh. yeah that that's a that's a little bit of a that's 2018 a cardinals look right there where they had mason cole and josh rosen <laughs> as far as uh, their additions, I mean, they really didn't sign anyone in free agency. They have so many big contract guys who are either locked in or guys who are coming up, like Jair Alexander, for example. He has to get paid. Devontae Adams has to get paid soon. Um, who knows what an Aaron Rodgers extension looks like in terms of cap hits. So they didn't have a lot of money to play with. But what they did do is they signed uh, Devontae Campbell in June. And I think that's probably going to be a help because – Essentially, their linebacker depth chart on the you know interior at inside linebacker is basically UDFAs who played last year, and then six seventh round linebackers who essentially play special teams. Um, so, so getting any sort of help uh, at inside linebacker should go a long way. We'll see with uh, Campbell. Hopefully, he'll be able to develop into a starter. Uh, in the draft, uh, let's pull up the the draft class here. They, they went round one, Eric Stokes out of Georgia. 
perhaps I mean, for some i seen some mock drafts where he hit when he went high that part of the first round but some felt that was a little bit of a surprise josh myers second round uh you got yourself an a rogers in the third round for rogers to throw to amari rogers out of clemson royce newman at Ole miss tj slayton defensive tackle out of florida uh, you've ended up with one two three four five six day three picks obviously stokes will be be potentially the biggest um, piece in there. What sort of impact, what sort of role do you think Stokes plays this year? So Stokes is interesting because he very much is an outside corner. His whole game is length and speed, and it's not a surprise. Length, speed, and ball and ball skills. Um, to a certain extent, he's kind of like the Kevin King replacement. Um, but in the structure of Joe Barry's defense coming in from the Rams, which they do a lot more like zone match, man match, uh, college type of schemes instead of, you know, straight man, straight, straight spot drop zone. It's a lot of, you're, you're essentially funneling and bracketing guys and you're getting two guys double covered off of their leverage in man coverage. And it just depends where they run, who triggers into becoming the double team guy, if that makes any sense. Um, well, with that, that could put Stokes and King on the outside and have Jair play the slot, which is not typically where he plays, even though he's a smaller corner and you may think of him that way. That would be an interesting way to kind of maximize all of their skill sets at the same time. Because I think, you know, Stokes and King, they're not necessarily guys you want in space as much as you want them using the sideline as an extra defender, if that makes sense. So yeah. I can see that type of a role for him. I don't think Kevin King is going to get benched because he's making $5 million a year this year. Um, Myers, their second pick, like I said, uh, he's got a real good chance at starting at center. Royce Newman is rotating in at both guard spots and right tackle in training camp. And Amari Rogers, I don't think has a way to see like starting caliber playing time this year. Um, just off of how the team is structured. Lazard is so cheap. He's a, he's a exclusive rights free agent yeah. who is tagged. So next year he gets tagged again and becomes a restricted free agent. And then the year after that, he finally becomes an actual free agent because he was a UDFA that they pulled off of the uh, Jaguars practice squad. So he's basically free money. I mean, he's basically making the better. <laughs> well, especially the, the production point. that they've been getting out of him. Heck yeah. Exactly. And then you have Devontae Adams. So if Devontae Adams stays, you're going to lock him up. If Lazard looks like a playable player off of his price point, you're just going to keep him on the roster and keep playing him. And then it becomes, okay, are we actually going to take Marquez Valdez-Scantling off the field? No, because he's the only guy who can stretch the field vertically, you know, on, on this roster at this point. So I think it's going to be tougher for Rodgers to see, you know, starting caliber playing time in that way, um, rather than just coming in, running some jet sweeps, being a return man. I, I kind of think that that's how they're going to use him. In terms of the, the day three, so your two fifth rounders, two sixth rounders, is there anyone in that group that will have any even complementary impact this year? Slayton is going to be there um, just off of the fact that I think they have four guys on their entire roster who are like 300 pounds on the defensive side of the ball. So they don't have bodies. And one of those guys is a UDFA from this draft class. Um, so I, I, I think they're going to have to play Slayton just off of the fact that they just don't have very many defensive line bodies. And maybe that's something that like, you know, roster cut downs or something like that. They they end up adding a defensive lineman um, who wasn't available in free agency right now or, you know, prior in the offseason. 
Um, but at this point, I, I think Slayton's probably going to be, in terms of like the big boy defensive tackles, right? He's probably third on the roster right now. Wow. Let's look forward to to the coming season. Obviously, there is a lot of variance that could come into play depending on whether it is Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers. Where do you see? Okay, so let, let's let's talk just with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. What do you think their floor and ceiling is this year? If it is Jordan Love, what type of season do you see? You're you're giving us high ceiling, high floor, and then what if Jordan? Right. Um, I Pro Football Focus actually ran a simulation, and I, I wrote it up for Acme Packing Company. They did the high and low end stuff, and they assumed Rodgers started right. So they said their high end. Uh, or what was it? It was like 90th percentile, right? So they're not going to look at, you know, the absolute best out of the thousand simulations. They're just looking at the, the cutoff at 90th percentile um, was like 14 and three. And that threw me off because I'm still not used to right. seeing the 17 game <laughs> schedule. I was like, what do you mean 14 and three? That doesn't look right. And then the low end being uh, eight, nine, which I think wow. is pretty low. And that's the bottom 10 percentile. Um, I don't know if that includes like a Rogers injury or something. I, I don't know how that works. Um, but I think that high end is pretty fair. And that was right. Uh, I I believe it was tied for the top in the league with the chiefs and, uh, the Buccaneers who just came off of the super bowl. Um, I think that's probably fair. I mean, I think this team has enough high end talent, even guys that kind of get forgetting about a little bit, like Kenny Clark and Zadarius Smith, like those guys are great. And, you know, Jair Alexander has an argument to be a top. He's, probably a top two corner in the league and might not be number two. Right. So you get into situations like that, where it's, there's, there's so much talent on the high end of this roster that as long as Bakhtiari can come back from his injury, as long as Rogers comes back, um, as long as Devante doesn't get traded to Derek Carr, who can't stop talking about him, um, they, they, things will probably work itself out um, with Lovin Again, like I said, I very much believe like, if you're going to start a guy and it's his first year as a starter, do not expect above average play. Right. So I, I really do think they go sub 500. If, if love comes in, even if they do have the upside of being a contender, if Rogers is there, like that's just how much quarterback matters in this league. I'm sorry to everyone who thinks that it isn't <laughs> that important. I'm sorry that these decisions were made in boardrooms in like 2004 because Bill Polian complained about Bill Belichick pressing his wide receivers. Like, this is what the league is. This is how they want to structure it. Quarterbacks have never had more volume. They've never been more important. And there's never been a wider gap between the top end quarterbacks and guys coming in at their first year. That's the league that we're in right now. And it matters. I'm sorry. So this is a Packers team who should be potentially a Super Bowl contending team, a team who could win a championship, has championship aspirations and expectations, honestly, uh, as long as Aaron Rodgers is playing at a high level, especially after the season that he had. Or you could be looking at a very rough season, depending on how things go. That said, um, how do you see – we're not talking the the individual matchup. How do the Packers and Packers fans view – the Cardinals game coming into this year um, a team even on the road that the that Packers fans feel is a should win likely win or kind of an even competition well the tough thing is their first nine weeks the Packers have six road games right so That's so it's a lot 
That is a lot. Yeah. So so before the Cardinals, and again, they're going to play the Cardinals in Arizona. They have two road games, Bengals-Bears. Then they get Washington. Short week to Arizona, you have to travel. The week after that, they're at Kansas City. That's tough. Yeah, so that, that type of turnaround, um, especially with the travel, is going to be a little bit tough. I, I think in general, people don't realize that like home field advantage is still a thing, and it, and it matters in the league, especially if you're going out to the West Coast. or Not, not necessarily Coast, but time zone. Um, just in terms of like body clocks and stuff like that, especially on a short week when you're on the road that much. I, I bet this game would probably be something like the Packers favored by like two or three points or something, which is makes sense. That's fair, but it's a game, you know. Yeah, yeah. you gotta you gotta play that ball game. So it, anything can happen. Um, in terms of the Packers fan, like on the street, I'm sure. Well, I guess it depends if they think Rogers is coming back, right? But if they think Rogers is coming back, I'm sure they're like easy win. They're like seventeen easy. and zero. Yeah, easy <laughs> easy win because every game is an easy win until it's not, right? So, <laughs> fantastic. Well, Justice, thank you so much for your time. That's Justice Mosqueda from Acme Packing Acme Packing Company dot com. I have it's been a few years since I've been on that network. So, Acme Packing Company dot com, the Green Bay Packers site. You can find his work there. Thanks, Justice, as always, and. I appreciate your time, man. Anytime. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web, another opponent, another opponent preview. We will focus on the Carolina Panthers, whom the Cardinals will face in week 10. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. And next in our opponent series are we have the Carolina Panthers, whom the Cardinals will play for the third year in a row at home in week 10 um and the cardinals have actually lost five straight games against the panthers and that includes a couple of playoff losses but to help us uh welcome actually he's back on the show for the second year in a row is panthers wire managing editor tim weaver from our nfl wire site sister site covering the carolina panthers 10 we did this a year ago how have you been i'm doing great Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate the time as always. So the the Panthers um, got the best of the Cardinals last year uh, and actually started the year promising three and two. Uh, they were two and two after that 31 to 21 win over the Cardinals uh, in Carolina. But then ultimately things fell apart and ended up with a five and 11 season. But tell us, what was the good and the bad of what you saw from the Panthers a year ago? What went well? What went wrong? Um, that's pre- you pretty much described the big trend, and that's it's been the same story pretty much three seasons in a row now. Like they get off to a pretty good start, uh, if not winning every game, they at least look capable. There's no like glaring, oh my goodness, they need to fix that or they're gonna lose every game. Like they look strong, and then something goes wrong, uh, usually around midseason. Um, in 2018, it was Cam Newton's shoulder injury. Um, they just got crushed by the Steelers, and then they lost nine games in a row. Just, like, totally destroyed their confidence. Um, same thing, sort of thing happened in 2019. Newton got injured early, and then they tried to ride Kyle Allen, um, and he just he seemed to get worse every week. I know he looked great against the Cardinals. Uh, <laughs> yes. He looked he great looked for like two or three weeks, up. and then yeah. I think the league figured him out. Yeah, that yeah wasn't hard to see coming, but uh, they kept putting them out there. 
Um, and then last year, Bridgewater, uh, he looks pretty good to me. There were a couple, like, really good games, I think, week seven against the Saints and week nine against the Chiefs. I thought, like, this is a good starting part. Like, he's managing the game really well. The pace is there. He's accurate. You know, he's not throwing bombs like Mahomes. That's not his game. That's okay. There's more than one way to do it. But after that, uh, that Chiefs game, he just – he tanked. If you believe him, and apparently the story is, like, he got injured the next week, week 10, against Tampa – and from then on, his performance just died. Like, he wasn't on the injury report that uh, too much. Uh, one week, they sat him. They sat him against the Lions week 11. And P.J. Walker got a quote-unquote win. Uh, that was pretty much just the defense. Uh, but, yeah, they, they brought him back against the Vikings. And Teddy just he, – he was never able to recapture that rhythm that he had earlier. And he got worse and worse. And then by the end of the season, uh, I, I was honestly surprised they didn't bench him. And it seemed to sour his relationship with Matt Rule. Um, I was surprised he kind of publicly rebuked him at halftime of the Packers game. Um, the critical error there, Teddy reached over the goal line. I think it was like first down and somebody swatted the ball away. They returned it 50 yards and they wind up oh. scoring. It's like a 14 point swing right before halftime. Just absolutely as, as devastating as you can imagine. And I think that may have been the last straw. Like Rule's confidence in him may have just been never recovered after that. Um, they kept saying like they didn't even bother uh, with the old like Bridgewater's our quarterback thing for most of the offseason. So it was clear they were going to make a change. Um, but they, they wind up at five and 11. And I think that's much on the lower end of what they could have been. I think if they had a little bit more luck in close games, especially um, Bridgewater was like, oh, and eight on his game winning drive, potential game winning drives and tying drives. Um, just a little bit more luck in those situations, a little bit more luck with injuries like McCaffrey missed 13 games. Uh, Kewan Short missed pretty much the entire year. Uh, they could have been closer to, you know, like, uh, I don't want to say eight and eight, but in that range, seven and nine, eight and eight, something like that. It's probably a more realistic um, uh, view of what their potential is as constructed right now. Um, What's but the level? Make, I, what What's the level of concern for for McCaffrey bouncing back? Because obviously, you know, it, it kind of looks like that. Once again, that running back contract bit a team in the behind, where they pay yeah, a guy, it, and it was then, so inexplicable. They had uh, they had him on another year. They could have picked up his fifth year option, but they decided to give him this massive extension a year and a half early. It just like I get paying people like. I know running backs aren't supposed to matter. They're not supposed to get paid, but they're really good running back because they're to get paid. Um, but the, just the timing of it when uh, this is former GM Marty Herney did this, not uh, Mr. Uh, Scott Fitter, the new one. Um, it just, it didn't make any sense to do it when they did. And yeah, it, it's not going well. You're going to give a guy 400 touches the next year. Odds are he's going to miss some games. And that's exactly what happened here. Um, so it, it's, it's not a great way to build a team as, as far as we understand it in the modern era. Um, but he is, he's still only like 24, 25 years old. He's very young. He's, uh, he's capable. I, he hadn't missed any games as far as maybe like one high school game prior to this past season. So he's generally been pretty durable. So I wouldn't be too worried about him unless they're planning to give him the ball like 400 times again, like they did in 2019 under Ron Rivera. Um, I, I would expect him to bounce back. I think he's going to be, uh, but he's my, he's my dynasty keeper in my league. So I'm, I'm hoping that works out well for me and he doesn't get injured again. So I'm not worried about him. The question is a quarterback is um, 
that's really the one defining question. Like, how much of an upgrade is Sam Darnold over Teddy Bridgewater? <laughs> and and that is what what brings us to what we come to next is uh, they obviously made the move for Sam Darnold. They believed in him enough that they didn't make a move with any of the quarterbacks in the draft, and then they ship you know Bridgewater to Denver, but not that that was unexpected. What is the sort of belief in Sam Darnold and what made what made them decide to go with him and not address quarterback in the first round of the draft? I can't say. I wish I had had the real answer for that. Um, I, I had a draft ready to go on Justin Fields when he was there. Second year in a row, I had Isaiah Simmons last year ready to go, and they picked Derek Brown this time. It was not Justin Fields. It was J.C. Horn, uh, who I love I, as a prospect. I think he's going to be a great corner. I think he helped you play more man defense, and that's you know that's the idea. But you have a chance to pick a you know potential quote unquote generational quarterback, which is what they were saying going in. Like all the indicators were flashing lights. They're going for Justin Fields, and then they just like took this hard right turn. Um, so I don't know. I I'll, I may never understand that. I think you never know. For every Ryan Leaf, there's a Peyton Manning and vice versa. You don't know how quarterbacks are going to work out next level. But the fact that you don't roll the dice on a guy like that with that kind of potential, um, I just think that's kind of a flawed way of thinking about it. Like Sam Darnold might be good. They obviously, he obviously has potential. That's the thing they're betting on. You see these occasional throws he makes. You're like, oh, it shows up on SportsCenter. That's a great ball. It's a good 30-yard little rainbow he threw there into the end zone. Uh, but he just he hasn't done it that consistently yet that's really the key we know that he's talented you don't like you don't get to this level you don't get to be a top three pick uh without having great arm talent um and he can run pretty well too uh, but it's it's not proven like it's all um what he can do and what he might do with this better supporting cast uh you know they're hoping that he takes a similar path as ryan Tannehill, who kind of blossomed once he got out from under adam gase with the titans um but, you know, it's all it's all speculative. None of it is, here's what he did, here's what he put on film, here's what he's able to do. But you have to, you have to put an asterisk with that. It's the Jets. This it's is true. The most, that, that the most dysfunctional team. It's, it's literally a punchline. <laughs> and, punch and if you watch anyone who leaves Adam Gase, it seems yes. that they do well. So yeah. there's that. that, that the, the thing is, the, the knock on Darnold, was always his turnover rate. And that was dating back into college. Like he could make the wow throws, but then he'd make just as many stupid throws with the turnovers, whether it's just overbelief. I mean, we've seen it for years with big time quarter. Brett Favre was kind of the same way. Carson Palmer, Matthew Stafford. They believe a little too much in their arm talent to get it into those tight windows. But, and thus far in the pros, he's been exactly that. There's been good and there's been some ugly. Um, with that... Do you believe Darnold is a better quarterback than Bridgewater? Obviously, it's more volatile. Bridgewater's probably the safer um, quarterback to go with. Do you think Darnold will ultimately have a better season? I think he will, um, but that's a very low bar. Is the problem like? <laughs> Like, I think PFF had, like, Bridgewater number 29 in the league this time last year. This time, like, Darnold is 28. Like, it's the mildest possible upgrade that you can get. So, yes, he, he is a little bit better based on um, – I, I, I would have assumed that he's a better athlete, but the athletic scores say otherwise. Teddy's a little bit quicker, a little bit uh, better measurables. Uh, but he, he just – he looks faster than Bridgewater. When you, you see him take off, there's a few of these, like, big runs. They're like, oh, okay, like, he can actually run. He's not uh, – 
Kyler Murray or anything, but like he, he has rushing ability for sure. Um, but yeah, like 59 turnovers, I think it is like between the interceptions and the fumbles, like the ball security is, a, is just a huge issue with him. Um, and usually that's not Teddy's problem, but Teddy had a t- uh, turnover issue last year as well. So um, it, it's just, it's really hard to say how much better Darn will be. Um, it, it really depends on him. Like, yes, you have better receivers now. They like, he never had a true wide receiver one there with the Jets. Was it Jameson Crowder? Um, just like a Rash- Rashad Perriman, just like a rotating pass. I mean, like, he had okay. Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson is great <laughs> number two or three wide receiver. I don't think he wants to be your number one. Like, all respect to Robbie. I, I love his game and everything. But, um, you know, DJ Moore is on another level. Um, you know, who knows what he can do? Like, if Allen Robinson came had been with the Jets, like, who knows what his numbers would have been like. Um, but it, it's all context. Like, at some point, you have to deliver. Like, yes, you didn't have any help. You didn't have a good play caller. You didn't have a good offensive line. But if you isolate just his play from all that stuff, I know it's difficult, but not that great overall. Like, yes, there are great splash throws. Um, I think to me, like the guy he reminds me most of on like good days is Jimmy Garoppolo. Like he's going to make some wow throws like, Oh wow. What a, like you fit that into a tight window. You think that guy can be great. And then the next play just totally breaks down the pocket, like has no idea what's going on and, and like walks himself into a sack or throws a terrible interception. Like, it's about consistency. You have to be able to put those good throws on more and more while avoiding those mistakes. Um, so if, like, your highest end is being a Teddy Bridgewater or um, who else is like that? Not so much Derek Carr, but, like, you know, that that's, like, the ceiling. That's, like, a top 15 guy to me. That's the very best he can be is just, like, an average, like, every other throw. You don't know what's going to happen. It's, like, a Garoppolo or a Jared Goff may be too mean. I don't know. I don't want to be that harsh on him. But (laughs) same kind of dynamic. Like, yes, he has arm talent. Yes, he can do things. But no, he has not proven he can do it consistently as yet. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web, we continue the conversation with Panthers Wire's Tim Weaver to discuss the Panthers who the Cardinals face in Week 10. We talk about free agency, the free agents that they got from the Cardinals, the draft, and their upcoming outlook on the season. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. So let's let's move to free agency. The, obviously, the big move that they made was a trade for Darnold. They traded away Teddy Bridgewater. W- who are the notable losses in free agency? Who are the notable free agent gains for the Panthers this year? There aren't a whole lot of losses that I can like. There's no like significant aside from Curtis Samuel. I think that was the biggest uh, free agent loss. Um, he signed with Washington. I don't know. He, he wound up getting 11 million a year. I don't know if he, they could have afforded that. I, I, he obviously deserves it. I think he's a very talented player. Uh, but that, that was really the only like, oh, that's going to hurt like thing that guy um, as far as free agency goes. But I really liked what they did. They signed a bunch of uh, like for cheap. You know, it was a buyer's market with the way that the uh, cap went uh, down last year. So they decided to play into that and just like sign a series of one and two year deals for like veterans, uh, AJ Bouye, very, very cheap deal. They got for him, Denzel Perriman, uh, Hassan Reddick, just like $6 million for that. Like, uh, obviously you got a front row seat for that. You got like 12 and a half sacks, 16 hits, um, to, to get, I don't know if he can repeat that. We know sack numbers go up and down from year to year. Uh, but just like anything close for $6 million, you will absolutely take that. You would have to be a total bust for that not to be a good deal for them. 
So I, I did really like what they did in free agency. Aside from uh, the offensive line, that the first two moves were inexplicable to me. They signed Cameron Irving and Pat Elfline, who right now it looks like they're going to be starting at left tackle and left guard. And that's the case, uh, not, not so good. Uh, Pro Football Focus has Irving literally dead last among like 1,500 linemen over the last three years. And Elfline is like three or four spots higher. Um, just like the worst possible uh, it's like they ordered the targets wrong. Somebody joked on them. Like it turned out, yeah, that's exactly what they did. Um, so those two I didn't get. But other than that, they just did a series of really like tight uh, money. Dan Arnold, another good one. Um, I think he got two years and six million. Very good price for him, uh, especially if he's going to have similar production with the red zone like he did with Arizona last year. I think he would definitely take that as well. Um, so I, I did like what they do in free agency. There were a couple of missteps early on, uh, but uh, overall, good class there, I think. So um, I guess Christian McCaffrey's return to health will obviously offset Mike Davis, who was very productive for most of the season. A guy actually wanted to see the Cardinals. Uh, Reddick, that that actually and becomes a game where it's a it's kind of a revenge game for both players, especially Reddick, who was really good the last year and felt bad. Actually, was not thrilled with how the Cardinals treated him in the offseason because they wanted basically wanted to, him to, hey, show us again. And he ultimately took the the Panthers deal, which is going to be interesting. He re- reunited with Matt Rule. Uh, I'm intrigued to see how he does in a full-time 4-3. Um, I didn't believe he could be a full-time edge player at his size. He proved why, he proved wrong because he was fairly strong. Uh, uh, he was fairly stout against the run, um, even at his undersize. And I guess teams are mostly nickel anyway, so he would be, so he would be, you know, lining up in, as a four-three edge most of the uh, as a four four-man front edge most of the time when he was with the Cardinals. And so it's going to be interesting to see if he can replicate the success that he had because it came in bunches at the end of the year. He went through a five-game stretch in the middle of the year where he didn't have a sack at all, and then suddenly he had the five sacks in a game against the Giants. He was super productive down the stretch. Now Arnold, Arnold's going to be interesting. Uh, to me, because he he was hyped by a lot of people, and like there's, if you use him in the run game, you're going to be disappointed. In the passing game, it depends on how he's used. Like he, people were talking like a fantasy sleeper, and I, I kept telling people in this offense, um, if he has 35 catches, that's the max you can expect. He ended with you know 31 catches and, and four touchdowns, and. And so that's going to be interesting to see there. Now we go to the draft. We go to the draft then, and who are the big players? Or not, not only so. You obviously J.C. Horn's taken eighth overall, a guy that I would have loved the Cardinals to have um, selected um, had he made it all the way to number sixteen. Um, arguably the best corner in the draft. Well, obviously, is does he does he is he slated to start? um week one and then who are the other notable draftees who will either have a prominent or complementary role uh yeah i believe horn is gonna start uh the plan is to have him um in the old james bradbury josh norman left cornerback role the number one guy um and dante jackson is going to continue to play that uh right side spot I guess they're going to try Bouye in the slot. That's an interesting choice, if you ask me. I'd much rather try Dante there, given his size and just 
Louis' experience outside, but I'm not the coach. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited about Horn. Uh, like the ball skills aren't so much there. You know, you, he's not a big ball hawk. Like you don't see huge interception numbers, but like you, just, you look at him and you see the way that he can like just like there's it's so hard to separate against him. He's so physical. He overpowers you physically. I think that's what you need in this division. Um, thankfully, Julio Jones not here anymore to drop 300 yards on your head a couple times um but it's still like they're a huge receiver mike evans you have to deal with uh calvin ridley has just absolutely torched the the panthers the last few times they've seen him um antonio brown is still here you have chris godwin who's amazing it's just like this is probably the deepest division um as far as it comes to wide receivers so it makes sense on some level, I think you have to take a chance on the quarterback in that position, but I get why they did it. I get why you need to try to get a shutdown quarterback like that. Um, and if he is as good as advertised, that's going to help a lot. Like, they're going to have an above-average defense this year. They weren't too far off last year. They really came on strong um, down the stretch, but they, they're not too far from an above-average defense for sure. Um, who else? The, I, I liked Terrace Marshall they got in the second round. I didn't see that coming. Um they needed another red zone weapon, though. I thought maybe they would settle with Arnold, but like I had a feeling like they're gonna they're gonna get a receiver. Um, I know in our uh, mock draft we did just before, I had them taking Devonta Smith in the first round, um, but they, they got apparently Marshall uh, most touchdowns inside the ten over the last two years in college football. That's exactly what they need. They've just been terrible in the red zone for a long time. Um, for a while, it was, you had Cam Newton, so he, you just give it to him, and you have all kinds of run plays you can do. You can do draws. You can do misdirection. There's all kinds of stuff you can do with him. But without Newton, they didn't have a real red zone weapon. Uh, McCaffrey, it, it's it, it's hit and miss. You don't want to give him the ball at the goal line. They haven't had much success with that. I thought Mike Davis was a better kind of guy with that. I, I, I get your – I'm a big Mike Davis fan, and he's totally going to destroy them twice a year now. Um but uh, Brady Christensen, I think, is the most important pick here. He's like the X factor. Um, if they get like, if he, if the plan was to start him at left tackle, that's what I thought. Um, he played left tackle his entire career at BYU. I think he only gave it like three sacks, uh, very low pressure rate. So I thought, okay, here's the guy. You finally got your left tackle after nine years in the desert or whatever it's been since you had a good starter here. Um, but it sounds like they see him as a right tackle. Um, or, or a guard. I get they're going to play him guard, but that's a pretty high pick. You needed a left tackle there. You really did. And it sounds like they're going to play right tackle, but we know he's not going to supplant Taylor Moten, who's brilliant. He's maybe the best right tackle in the league. So um, I'm not sure about that one. I would love to see them give Christensen a chance at left tackle because I'm not inspired by the guys they have over there right now at all. Um, Cameron Irving may start. Trent Scott may get a chance. Like, there's just there's no way to know. It seems Matt Rule doesn't even know who's going to start left tackle right now, and that's the problem. Um, <laughs> really the key. Like, if if you get a good starter out of him, hopefully it's at left tackle. But if you get a good starting left guard for a long time, you'll take it, I guess. Um, but if if the plan was to put him at right tackle all along, I really don't understand that pick at all. Um, but then further down the line, you have a couple interesting picks. Like Deontay Brown is a really popular one. I think they got him in the fifth or sixth round. He's just a huge guard. He's probably the biggest guy in the draft. We see all these memes with him. Uh, you know, he looks like a Bowser from Mario. He's just got that, that really bizarre kind of body type. Like you can't get around him. 
Um, and like his athletic testing is terrible. He, he like, there's no speed, there's no explosion. Like, who cares? It doesn't matter. That guy's enormous, and he's just gonna crush you in the run game. So, um, I think he might have a chance to start at right guard. Although John Miller was pretty good last year, so he's another one that could um, make an impact. And another guy I really liked uh, was Smith in the sixth round from South Carolina. He's been a slot receiver. Um, they kind of mix up who's in the slot. I know a lot of people thought Curtis Samuel was the slot guy, but uh, if Smith comes in and he's able to give you something um, for a six-round pick, I think that's a big bonus as well. Um, I, I liked what he did in the draft. Aside from Justin Fields, that's like a huge, like at the top, like, okay, disclaimer, we passed on a quarterback. But aside from that, I really loved everything they did. They hit the positions that they needed to. Uh, they picked good athletes like they're all pretty good aside from Dante Brown really good athletic scores for their positions um and it looks like some of them have a chance to start right away that's all you can ask for I think like it remains to be seen how they'll work out but um overall pretty impressed by the draft class I would say and I'll I'll say that I at least the first five picks I think were great selections uh I know my co-host for this show Seth Cox who also runs the, he is also the host for the original Draft Breakdown podcast. He, well, he loved the first four. So J.C. Horn, he had as his top corner. I think Terrace Marshall might have been his wide receiver one. It was a, He has a sleeper. He loved Brady Christian, said Tommy Tremble was his favorite tight end in the draft, not named Kyle Pitts. And I think Chuba Hubbard is, I think he slides right into that Mike Davis role really, really easily. Um, then at the, I also like she Smith, but other than that, I mean, fifth and sixth, so you had roughly 80,000 <laughs> day three picks. And so if you get one or two of those, it was to even contributor in good shape. But, um, I was real impressed with the, what the Panthers did in the draft, which leads us to, to this coming season. What is the outlook? What is your outlook for the Panthers this year? What's the best case? What's a worst case? And how do you see them comparing with the Cardinals in terms of their season this this coming year? I think best case is Darnold. Like he does deliver on all this upside. Like that's the buzzword you keep hearing and potential and athleticism. Um, he runs the offense well. He he especially in the red zone. He's more efficient than Bridgewater. They have a little more luck on those game winning drives. I think. The ceiling is probably nine and eight, uh, possibly 10 and seven if they get really lucky with other teams get injured. But um, realistically, like nine and eight, um, I'm looking at that range. I think I don't think that they're going to lose. Uh, I don't think they're going to go six and 11. Uh, but the range is seven to nine wins, I think, is realistic for them um, as long as they don't have the injury bugs like they've had the last couple of years. They've, they've had pretty bad. I don't know what the numbers are as far as games missed. Um but it's, it feels like it's been significant pieces. Like if you lose your fourth string nose tackle, it's no big deal. But it's been significant guys have been missing time the last few years. And you just have to assume at some point uh, that's going to correct itself. Um, you have a little bit more luck. If that's the case, I think nine and eight is a reasonable goal. Um, with the way divisions are set up now, that, that maybe gives you a chance at a wild card spot. Like I think that's a goal to at least like – to be playing meaningful games like in mid-December if you're like week 15 matchup is not just a total like the NFL flexes it out of the spot it was going to be in kind of thing um, then I think you're that Matt Rule can say he did a good job but the, to get a team this young to build around um, uh, it's, it's been four years now this has been three years of losing seasons if they can get that 
turned around and get above 500, I think that's a successful, successful season. If you make the playoffs or not, that that's much less in your control. You know, you have so many teams, uh, even though the expanded format, I think you don't have to worry about that. You just have to get above that 500 mark and then keep building from there. It's taken in two years. Uh, Baylor at Temple, it was a two-year turnaround both places. So hopefully the idea I, I would hope is that by year three, you're going to think, okay, we're going to be a contender. If Darnold builds on this and he goes into 2022 um, under that 50-year option, you say, okay, now we're ready to actually compete. We can be a playoff team again. Um, but compared to Arizona, I don't know. They're like in such radically different places. You like you have a quarterback. You have a great franchise quarterback, um, at least with potential. You have athleticism. He's going to be your guy for a while. Um, tremendous talent at wide receiver. Like you know, I always love watching Hopkins. Um, Larry Fitzgerald will occasionally. I, I was watching um, the the 49ers game the other day, and like Fitzgerald will still flash every now and then. It's, it's amazing. Um, it's hard for me to say what the Cardinals can do just because that division is absolutely brutal right now. Uh, for a while it was the NFC South. That was the toughest, but the NFC West, like, like where, where do you get the wins? The Rams have Stafford now, so you can't count on Jared Goff blowing a game or two for them. Um, everyone is tough. It's a Niners. I don't know how long Garoppolo's leash is going to be. Um, but if they get Trey Lance out there and just, by the benefit of having Kyle Shanahan guiding him, that that can be a very team. We know their defense is going to be better if they're healthy. They just got devastated by injuries last year, and Seattle's also still really good. Um, they, they tried letting Russ cook last year for the first time, and it worked out well for them. If they get back to that, like there's just there's no easy wins there. So that that's a tough. I think that's a much tougher division, tougher path for the Cardinals. Um, but I also think like that would be a good goal if they're like kind of in the same space in that if you can get eight or nine wins, I don't think that you can be too upset about it. Like it's still kind of a flawed roster, like you're building towards something, um, but not there yet as far as the other NFC contenders are concerned, especially within that division. Looks like they're trying to follow kind of the, the same arc as the Cardinals who won five games in their first year under Cliff Kingsbury. They were on the cusp of the postseason last year with eight wins, and this year they come into uh, the year expecting to be a postseason team. And so it looks like the Panthers are hitting year two, kind of what we thought we hoped would be the Cardinals season last year with high, high-end high hopes of the postseason, low-end hopes of you know, being a team that was kind of in the mix. Thanks, Tim, so much. That's from PantherswireNot.com. That is Tim Weaver. Uh, thanks for thanks for the time, Tim. Appreciate it. And that will wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, the best star of Cardinals talk on the web. This has been episode 314. We talked about the Packers and the and the Carolina Panthers. We have two more preview shows left. Those will come next week on Tuesday. The next episode 315 will drop where we focus on the Cardinals opponents after the bye, where they face the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. And in next week's bonus episode on Friday, we will drop the final two opponents the Cardinals face that we haven't previewed already, the Indianapolis Colts and Dallas Cowboys. Until then, I'm Jess Schrute from CardsWire.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again twice next week. And the week after that, we do our training camp preview back again with Seth Cox. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, 
or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Sea Red.